When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm trying to elevate small talk to medium talk. Hi, I'm Alex Chester, and I don't need HBO to cover my porn. And I'm Av Sinensky, and I have no stature. Welcome to Pretty, Pretty, Pretty Good, a podcast about Curb Your Enthusiasm today. Av and I are going to discuss the, our introduction to the show Curb Your Enthusiasm and also the 1999 special Larry David Curb Your Enthusiasm, which ultimately led to the series. So Av, start with you. When did you first start watching Curb? I can't pin it down exactly. I was trying to figure that out today. I definitely did not watch it from the beginning. I think I started watching it either around the beginning of the third or fourth season, maybe a little bit earlier than that. And obviously I caught up uh, maybe I'd seen a couple episodes here or there, but definitely since like season three around, I've been all in on this show, have seen the first few, first three or four seasons many times. Um, and then, you know, as the, as the series started to drop off in quality a little bit, I've, you know, I've still seen every single episode, but haven't revisited those seasons as much. I first became aware of Curb during my sophomore year of college. Uh, we were actually living across the hall from one another. And, uh, and down the hall from us, another uh, friend of ours from high school, Shmaria Gasner, he encouraged me to watch the latest episode of this show that he was watching. Uh, the episode featured a rapper named Crazy Eyes Killer. And, oh, that's quite an introduction. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I, I watched Crazy Eyes Killer. Uh, and um, I, I, so I looked it up today. That's episode eight of season three. It came out on November 3rd, 2002. So I probably saw Curb. I can almost pinpoint to the exact day. I saw Curb for the first time. I heard of it for the first time in November of 2002. And by that point, I think uh, both of us, we were like so obsessed with Seinfeld that we could memorize much of Seinfeld. Obviously, it would become even easier in the ensuing years as CDs and online you know, made it even easier to watch any episode on demand. But we, I, I was so obsessed with Seinfeld and I love Seinfeld so much. And so I had heard the name Larry David before 2002, and I, you know, but, I, but I didn't know that much about him. I heard like some reference that he was sort of the real life George Costanza, sort of like the way we knew there was a real life Kramer and real life, you know, different characters in the show. But I really didn't know a lot about him. And somehow this show just went totally under my radar for the first two and a half seasons. And but as soon as I watched an episode like you, I, I became obsessed with the show. I, I, w- I went back and, and watched all the old ones. I think the, the way to do it back then was you had to go to like, you know, a Blockbuster or Hollywood Video and, and, and rent the, uh, the DVDs or, or buy the DVDs, I guess. And, and yeah, I've, I've watched every episode multiple times and I've wanted to, to start doing a rewatch of it. And I thought, you know, one way to motivate me to, to do a rewatch is if I'm committed to watch it with someone else and discuss it with them every week. And so that's how we decided to start this podcast. Yeah. Um, and I would say, I think the first time I became aware of Larry David um, was for the Seinfeld finale when it was like a big deal that Larry David was like coming back to help write the finale or to entirely write the finale. I don't know exactly how involved he was, but it was like he was a guy that I, I could kind of been vaguely aware of as a Seinfeld fan. But, you know, back in that day, like, you know, there was no Internet in 1997 the way there is today where 
even if somebody had mentioned something, you don't necessarily have the ability to look it up or really yeah. learn a lot about it. So he was just like a guy who I guess I had heard was like, you know, he was one of the original writers of Seinfeld and then he left the show for whatever reason, obviously because he was crazy. Um, and then he was coming back to write the finale. Everyone was very excited about that. And obviously that went off without a hitch and everyone was very pleased. So what's funny about the Seinfeld finale is I, unlike when I started watching Curb, I obviously remember exactly the circumstances under which I saw the Seinfeld finale, not only because it was the Seinfeld finale, but because they were extremely traumatic. Now, Alex, we went to high school together, but you did not, arrive in our school until 10th grade. So this happened in ninth grade. Yeah, this was in ninth grade. I saw you, it in Canada. Exactly. But as you, I'm sure, know, in our high school, we had an annual tradition every year at Lagba Omer to go to Chelsea Piers and spend the day playing, you know, mini golf and basketball and soccer and all sorts of different sports at their complex there. Um, it was, you know, just a, ver a very fun day that everyone looks forward to every year. Um, this year, Lagba Omer happened to be the day where the Seinfeld finale was going to air that night. And we got stuck on the way back to school to meet our, you know, regular buses in like the worst traffic you've ever seen in like Manhattan, Upper West Side, highways. For some reason, they had to take the streets. Something was shut down. And we were like sitting for like hours. And like everybody on that bus is like looking at their watch, knowing that like if we don't get home by a certain time, we're going to miss the Seinfeld finale because, you know, we, there's no DVR. Nobody has a cell yeah. phone even with like the ability to say like, oh, I'm going to call my parents and tell them to record it for to, me. So, like, to VCR it. Yeah. To VCR it. Yeah. Like which yeah. you can't do. And like, why would you have done it ahead of time? Because, you know, you I didn't can't even imagine like, what would you have done if you didn't see this live in 1997? Yeah. And like when and like, when are you seeing it next? Yeah. Like maybe like in a few weeks, they'll re-air it. Like who the hell knows? Like it's like you like everybody in the world is going to be talking about this thing. And like you have no ability to see it anytime soon. So thankfully, you know, you know, things started to like move a little bit and we got back in time and like I was home with like 45 minutes to spare and it all worked out and I saw all the horrible Seinfeld finale although I liked it at the time but I rewatched it for when Robin Akiva did it and it's god awful oh, uh, I don't think it's god I, I think it gets a bad rap I don't know yeah anyway but yeah so we you know we got to see it it all worked out but you know those were like that was like one of like the scariest moments of like my life where like everyone <laughs> on that bus was like freaking out about the same thing uh it was just like very terrifying but yeah you know, it all worked out yeah, these the, things are impossible to explain to, like, our kids and, and like, even people oh, in Oh, yeah, 20s. it was nuts. Like, and obviously relative to, like, you know, any time before that, like, this was, like, a moment of, like, extreme capacity where, like, you can do yeah. anything. But, like, you just felt so helpless in that, in that spot and there's, like, nothing to be done. Yeah, I remember watching season eight and nine of Seinfeld in real time, but I don't remember in real time anybody discussing, oh, you know, the quality's worse because Larry David's gone, even though now I'm aware of that narrative. But at the time, I don't think I was like, I think you're right. I probably heard of him coming back for the finale because that was a big news story, but that didn't mean anything to me. It was like, okay, here's yeah. some, you know, random generic name. And, and then this show comes on the scene and, and, and it actually, you know, you think about it, Seinfeld finishes in, in what, May of 1998, right? Exactly. Yeah. And this show is, and, and this initial episode is on Curb just one year later, which means that Larry probably starts working on it almost right away after Seinfeld, which is really impressive because, you know, all, all like, everyone else we identify with Seinfeld was sort of, it seems like they needed to take a break and none of them did anything immediately um, because, the, you know, they, they were sort of like the emotional attachment of that show was so big that everyone needed to take a step away. And Larry, maybe because he had already taken that break in the previous couple of years, He's all fired up. He, he jumps right back into it and he makes this show, which is obviously so, you know, the one hour special that he makes is it, it's it's so unique to me because it's it, you and I each saw on Netflix earlier this year, the mock, the mockumentary that Bob Dylan made. Right. 
Yeah, I saw that. I was a big fan of it. Yeah. You know, usually when we think of a mockumentary, we think of like Christopher Guest, where the whole thing is comedic and obviously it's not true. But what's, what the Bob Dylan one did really well and what this episode actually did really well 20 years earlier and didn't get credit is how it mixes the real with the fake so seamlessly that it's really – now I think when you and I are watching this in 2020, it's clear to us, much more clear who's fake and who's real because, first of all, we recognize some of the faces from later seasons of Curb and we know they're playing characters or because, you know, frankly, we have the internet and we can invite them to be open access as we watch. But I think if you were watching this on TV live in 1999 – you had no idea if almost any of it was fake or if it was fake at all, right? Yeah, I mean, and even now watching it just today, I mean, we'll get into this a little bit later, but like the, the episode ends and I'm like, I don't know if that's what really happens in real life. If, you know, if there was ever going to be a comedy special, like I'm, I'm just totally at a loss. I don't know what, what's real and what is just part of the fictional show that we saw and what's yeah. part of like what actually happened between Larry David and HBO, you know, in the aftermath of Seinfeld. It's, it's just not at all clear at the end. And that's, I, I, that's a good thing, I think. I think that it, this documentary special blurs with the line of real and fake in a really clever, interesting way. Um, as you said, a lot, in large part by using a lot of the same characters that we're used to, whether it's from Seinfeld or people from behind the scenes or people that would appear on later episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm, um, or just like mixing in like real parts of Larry David's life with things that are clearly made up and his old comedy and new comedy and it's just like it's it's kind of messy but it's also kind of interesting i think it's just really challenging also to think of like how were we viewing this in 2020 and how would we have viewed this in 1999 and again neither one of us saw this until we were you know well well after we were aware of curb uh, existing as a tv show and so we understood that it was you know uh, somewhat fictionalized but i i just i really don't know if i would have thought that in 1999 i mean it starts the very first scene is larry and jeff walk out of an elevator and Jeff looks at the camera and waves. Now, you know, starting with The Office all the way through, like, you know, Modern Family, that, that's something we're used to on TV now, this idea of a show being sort of like a, a fake mockumentary or they're fake documentarians who are sort of watching the whole thing. But that was not a thing that we were really used to in 1999. And that's not a thing that Curb ever does after this episode. Yeah, and so I mean, th- that's immediately unique right there. Yeah, I mean, I, I would assume that 99% of viewers and I would include myself if I had watched it at the time, um, would just assume this is like an actual documentary about this experience that Larry David is going through and would expect that it's going to end with some sort of like stand-up special where he does, you know, a 30 or 60 minute set. Um, Didn't Jerry Seinfeld later make a movie that did just that? um, Yes, he did. I can't remember what it's called, but you know, that's a a number of comedians have done that. Yeah. Um, or, you know, other performers, you know, like it's like two part style. It's not uh, it's not anything unique at this point, at least maybe it was back then. So I don't know. But certainly anyone watching this would be like, OK, I don't, you don't even know who this Larry David guy is for the most part. He wasn't very public. People probably didn't even know what he looked like. Um, and OK, let's follow this guy along and see this, you know, thing that he's going to try to do with this guy, Jeff. And he seems like a funny guy. And who the hell knows where this is going to go? But yeah, I, I, I don't think that it would be possible for anyone to really understand the full breadth of what was going on here. Yeah. And by the way, if you haven't seen it, you, it, it's obviously it's on HBO Go and HBO Now. But if you just Google Larry David, Curb Your Enthusiasm 1999 special, the whole thing is uploaded to YouTube. It's like it's 50 minutes long or so. Uh, and so anybody can watch it on YouTube for free. And it's, it, it's just, it is really interesting. The, 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 the premise of it is that he's going to, you know, film the, the, the narrative of the real life guy who made Seinfeld going back to the drawing board as a standup for the first time in a decade. And really the first time successfully ever, because he was not a successful standup. And we're going to follow him as he works through that whole process. And then, as you said, it's going to end with the actual special, you know, and the way, the way it starts, 
is we see Larry coming out with with Jeff, and now we know well that's Jeff Garland, the comedian from Chicago, who you know has played Jeff Green on Curb for twenty years. But in nineteen ninety nine, I don't think anybody knew who Jeff Garland was. Right? Yeah, I wouldn't. And so, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, the screen says this is Larry's manager, Jeff Green, and you're like, okay, yeah, that that that, that makes sense. And it just you know right from the beginning, I think that they do a really good job. The first the first comedic moment, I guess, of the show is LD and Jeff past an african-american in the hallway and ld says to jeff that he has a tendency to nod at black people to let them know that he's not quote one of the bad ones and i think at that point you start to get suspicious but even so maybe well you know he's a comedian doing a a show about comedy so he's gonna make jokes even in his so even at that point i think you know you still don't really know um and then you walk into the room with those hbo executives and and those those are all actors but again we didn't know that at the time especially because they're actors who are playing like themselves in their same names. So like Alan Wasserman plays an HBO executive. The guy's name is actually Alan Wasserman who plays that role. And by the way, he also comes back in season three to play Alan Wasserman, the HBO executive on Curb again. So it's like, what's real? What's, what's fake? It's just, it's very confusing even today with the benefit of 20 years and, and, you know, IMDb. Yeah, I mean, and there's a few people. I think uh, Carol Leifer appears playing herself. Yeah. She shows up later as Officer Krupke in like six seasons from now. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's very confusing even now. And yeah, there's no way anybody knew what the hell was going on when they were watching this for the first yeah, time. Yeah, and the, was- weirdest, the weirdest part to me is while they're at that initial meeting at HBO, Larry and Jeff uh, run into this guy coming out of the elevator named Jeff Yerkes. And Jeff Yerkes, they say, was a former writer's assistant on Seinfeld, which means he was pretty low on the totem pole at Seinfeld, right? Yeah, and but so, yeah, Larry knows exactly who he is. Yeah, and so, but I Google him, and indeed on IMDb, you can click it and see, Jeff Yerkes was the name of a writer's assistant on Seinfeld. They couldn't get somebody like higher up to play this role? But no, but no, this is the crazy part. But Jeff Yerkes in this episode is not played by Jeff Yerkes. He's one of the only people in the entire episode who's played by an actor with a totally different name. <laughs> So they so, got an actor to play a no-name writer from yeah, Seinfeld. It, that, that boggles the mind. I mean, Larry must have had some kind of relationship with Jeff Yerkes, but why doesn't he just put Jeff on the show the way he puts everybody else on the show? Yeah, it's the, and, it's, it boggles the mind. It's almost – I mean, IMDb almost, I have to say, did they make a mistake? Yeah, it's hard to know. I mean, I, we, we were talking about this earlier offline that the IMDb page for this – episode of the show or this it's special is yeah it's a mess like they refer to jason alexander who does he play jason alexander okay that's how you're gonna write it fine larry charles he plays himself so is larry yeah. charles playing himself and jason alexander is playing a character named jason alexander who's exactly the same person as jason alexander for life i don't know yeah <laughs> by the way jeff yerkes is played by eric scott gold who's an actor he's been on without a trace santa fe one child i don't know what any of these things are but he's an he's on numbers or he was on numbers. He's got a whole bunch of TV shows that he's been on. So, and then this one episode of Curb. So the, the Yerkes thing really boggles the minds and I don't really understand what's going on over there. Then, you know, then he goes, he's sitting at a table with, with these comedians who are real life comedians, but like, I never heard of Susie Soro until I Googled her. Um, and, and then, and then I think the first thing we see that really reminds us, although you, you could say the line about, you know, letting African-Americans know he's one of the good ones. But the first thing about this episode that really reminds me of a modern day Curb episode is when he has that awkward interaction with Caroline Ray uh, at, at, at the restaurant at lunch. Yeah. He's at lunch with other people in Hollywood and Caroline Ray, like the celebrity actress, just stops by his table and says hi to him. And he calls her Carolyn instead of Caroline. And then right. she walks away awkwardly. And that's just that that's a classic thing that we'll see in Curb for the next 20 years. Like the awkward interaction in, in Hollywood that Larry has with somebody who he kind of knows and is in the same industry as him, but, you know, they're not really friends per se. Right. And certainly he has no interest in, you know, engaging in niceties with yes. for someone he's not interested in. Exactly. Um, 
in general, like I think what really drives the really best Curb episodes are these social dynamics and kind of like Larry's interrogation of the rules that society has agreed to live by. And I think when Curb is really in its sweet spot, in my opinion, is where Larry is like inherently right in what he's arguing, but everyone else is right because shut up, just like everyone's agreed to like do things this way. Like, don't be an ass. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and when Curb, like, doesn't work as well, which I would argue is, becomes more and more common in the later seasons, is, like, Larry's just being a jerk. Everybody else yeah. is overreacting. Like, there's really no good argument about social rules going on. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I thought that, like, this one, like, while it felt like, you know, oh, this is something that would happen on Curb, like, was kind of a bad example of that. Because, like, she just completely overreacts to, like, something that's not a big deal at all. Like, that he calls her Caroline instead of Carolyn or the opposite, I don't even remember, is, like, it's not something that you should like mention to a third party to then bring up with Larry. Yeah. And then, and then the goodbye thing, which, you know, has obviously sort of has an echo in, in, in just uh, this current season with the, with the big goodbye. She yeah. complains that she doesn't get a big goodbye. She gets, she doesn't get a goodbye at all. Right. And he, which, I think which he later is, argues that he gave like an extra good hello. Yes, exactly. And, and these are, this is the kind of thing that Larry David that we see and we're like, well, Larry's in the right about. But it's almost so much so that we're like, well, what, what the hell is she doing? Again, like right. for her to be upset, fine. But for her to go and complain to a third party, it really, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe there are divas like that. Maybe that is more of a normal character among Hollywood actors and actresses than, than you and I might know. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then right after this, I think we're introduced to Cheryl for the first time. Yeah. And her hair color is different. Yes. Her hair color uh, is all over the place in this episode, but it's, it's, it's darker than the blonde that we know her as. It's like a darkish reddish, like a red brown, I would say. Is that how would you describe it? Yeah, it, I think it kind of felt like it alternated between brown and red. Maybe it just had to do with like yeah. different lighting. Maybe she has like, she's two haired. Um, <laughs> I doubt they were changing her hair color like, during, <laughs> during the episode because that yeah. I mean, although who the hell knows with this show. Um, <laughs> the other thing that was immediate, that I immediately noted about this episode is that the main title song does not play, um, yeah. which was very jarring for me. I think we've also discussed this in the past that like for me, I have this like Pavlovian instinct. No matter even though I've watched you know all the famous HBO shows, you know, yeah. The Wire, The Sopranos, Game of Thrones, yes. every single I, one I, I anyone's ever watched. So strongly. Yeah. When I hear that, like, HBO static sounds, my yep. mind expects to hear... I don't know why that is. It's like, it's, I wouldn't even say it's my favorite of the HBO shows. It's, it's basically, like, never on. Like, it's on, like, every four years. Like, there's no reason why yeah. that should be. But, like, those two sounds just go together in my head. And it was especially jarring to watch an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm without that music to start it off. Yeah. So. There, was a, there was a small time for me when, when Game of Thrones replaced that as my reaction. But I'm back to Curb. When you yeah. hear the static and immediately just singing the Curb song in your head. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. But it's interesting to me, like... We don't see Larry do a big stand-up special at the end of this episode, obviously. But we do see bits and pieces of stand-up throughout the episode. And the first one he does, which is the two in Usted, is like a very famous stand-up that he used to do in the 80s. I mean, famous now, of course, at the time, nobody knew that. But, you know, for, for nerds like us who have read and listened to tons of stuff about Larry David, we know, like, we know of sort of his famous history as a failed stand-up in New York in the late 70s and early 80s. And this is one of the bits that we've heard of before. But then after this, all the rest of the bits were not bits that I had heard of outside of this episode. And I thought that they were all, they were all pretty good. Like, he really actually does well as a, as a stand-up in the bits that we see in this, in this episode. Yeah, I wonder how many of these were, you know, new material that he, I guess, shoehorned into the, to the episode. Again, I don't know, because I don't know if there was, like, ever intended to be an actual stand-up comeback for him or if this is just all pretends. Yeah, 
has he done like stand up stand up ever? Like since then, I don't think he has, right? Not that I'm aware of. He was in a show called Fish in the Dark, which I yes. attended half of because uh, I came. It. No, I came uh, about 45 seconds late because there was just crazy traffic on the Upper West Side, and this is the only show that I've ever experienced this with, where they said you can't come in until intermission. Now, I was like, that, no, that's like, happened to me at the ballet, but yeah, but it, at Broadway shows they let people. Yeah, run yeah. Generally speaking, they make you stand in the back, and yeah. like the first time that they're doing like a costume change or whatever, where yeah. Things are moving around. They let everyone quickly run to their seats. And like, I'm certain that this was just like some ridiculous Larry David request because like once he was at a show and somebody came in late and it bothered him (laughs) and like he made a policy. Like for sure that's what happened. So like I saw the first half like on a screen in like the vestibule right right outside with like 20 other people who also came late and were locked out, um, which also makes you realize how many people come late to these things. Like it wasn't like just me. Um, And then the second half I watched in the show but you know i didn't really enjoy it because i was in a bad mood for like the day being ruined yeah that's pretty funny that, that you actually pinned that on ld himself personally <laughs> you're probably not wrong yeah um, for sure now, it was a, it was like his like personal tick so as i mentioned we see alan uh, who's going to come back as an hbo executive in season three um we later see this hbo production designer who proposes like the, the rotating set with the Seinfeld department. And that actress, whose name is also Susie, she comes back in season three for four episodes as an assistant manager to the restaurant that Larry and his friends are opening. Oh, sure, sure. Oh, I recognized her and I didn't know what it was. And so I went and searched and, and that's what it was. Um, Got it. But it's interesting. So some, should they bring her back later with the same name, actually, but having a different job. Now, maybe she just, you know, moved around jobs and she went from, you know, uh, from television to, to catering services. I have no idea, but, but it's not referenced on the show, obviously. The the other thing that I appreciated was the whole thing with Larry and Mark Beltzman. I mean, that was a very like sort of peak curb situation. Yes. Right? For he sure. has to lie about why he didn't attend the wake, and then he has to lie about, yes. the, about sending flowers. And Yes, and like making a, a distinction between a father and a, step, is a stepfather. Is that really a big deal? Yeah. Um, which, again, like n- nobody should behave this way, but sure, there is a distinction between a father and a stepfather. But like if someone's upset because their stepfather died, like you shouldn't be the one to point out, well, it was only your stepfather. Yeah, I forget. Had you seen this episode before like the last day or so? I'm sure I did, but I had like no memory of it as I was watching, which is yeah. very unlike me. I generally have a very good recollection when it comes to like things I've watched. Like I, by from my own memory, made went back and like made a list of every movie I've ever seen in my entire life, and I'm like 99.9% sure it's accurate. Um, but I was watching this, and I was like, I really have no memory of this. So like, I guess it's theoretically possible that I never saw it, but that just doesn't seem like me. And like many other ways that like I wouldn't like there would be an episode of curb that I've never seen. I mean, I, I had seen it and I had remembered it more than you did, but I'll tell you the one thing I had no recollection of, which is kind of shocking because it's sort of the most shocking moment of the episode is uh, Larry and Jeff go to New York cause he wants to practice in the New York clubs. They're, they're picked up at the airport by this very aggressively inappropriate HBO executive who immediately starts telling them an incredibly graphic story about <laughs> Molly Shannon literally fucking two guys to death that's literally the words that are used and then lurid detail is given about two different snl crew members who uh were dating molly shannon and each had a heart attack and died whilst uh you know having intercourse with her i mean what do you think about this about this whole scene in the limo i was very confused like how (laughs) molly shannon was arrived at as the person for this story to be about I did like a little research because like that was just the thing that was most perplexing to me. Like she just seems like a very random choice. I guess was was she? I guess she was on SNL at the time, right? I assume it was with her blessing. Yes. Right? So th- I found an interview with her where she was asked about it, and she said, 
Like he was, he was like hanging out with Larry or for some reason while he was writing this pilot, which another point is that this show, this episode does not attribute writing credit to anybody, which again is trying to like play with the real versus fake. What is this really? Yeah. Even though Larry David wrote this, the way he writes current, which is kind of like a rough outline. Um, yeah. Anyway. So while he was writing this special, he was happened to be hanging out with her for whatever reason and said like, Oh, I'm thinking about like this story that I want to throw in. Could I use you and like say that this happened with you, that you fucked two guys to death. And she was thought it was hilarious and said, sure, go ahead. It's like not remotely based on anything even like in, suffice to say, it's not true. It's not even like based on something. Um, but like, I it was, think it was only the, one actually. Yeah. Only one. She's only killed one person via intercourse. Um, yeah. But like, there is a person who the story Which, is by about. The way, I will say this for the, for the person who's living, it's extremely traumatic, but for the person who's dying, it's probably the best way to go. Um, I mean, yeah, I can certainly think of much worse ways to go. <laughs> um, sorry, you know, listen, listen, as, as, as we learned in this episode, blowjobs have consequences. I don't know yeah. if Molly Shannon is Jewish, but yeah. you know, no, I think even Gentile, yeah. Yeah, even Gentile <laughs> blowjobs probably have consequences. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, so the, there is a person that is like the, guy, like the manager that they had in common that they're referencing. I forgot his name, but like it's not remotely true or based on anything or, you know, even tangentially related to something real that happened. So she, yeah, claims. So she claims, of course. Speaking of the manager, um, one thing that's interesting to me is uh, sort of the, the continuity that this episode is going to have to the show for the characters who continue. Yeah. So and, they establish death immediately as a cheating asshole. <laughs> yeah, well, but also when the actual episode starts, spoiler alert to the next few episodes of this podcast, but Jeff is sleeping around in LA and he's getting blowjobs here and there and, and Susie even knows about it and, and accuses him of it. So like Jeff early on in the show is a real like dirty, dirty dog. And, yeah. and th- that goes away after the first couple of uh, seasons. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. Um, it probably I mean, pops up from time goes, to time. He's still a horn dog, but it's more like they're going to order Girls Gone Wild than that he's going to like be sleeping around. Right. Also, it's like this guy is just like sleeping with whoever he wants randomly, I guess. I don't know. Doesn't doesn't add up. Well, I mean, spoiler alert to season 10, but he resembles someone else in Hollywood who managed to sort of use his power dynamic to, to do similarly inappropriate things. So Fair enough. Fair enough. And spoiler alert, flash, uh, flash forward to this week's episode – Larry makes sure to get his parking validated. Yes, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, Larry gets his parking validated here. I think Larry, and, and we'll, we'll, this is something we'll have to keep an eye on, I guess, over the next 100 episodes, but I think Larry consistently gets his parking validated. We'll keep, you, we'll keep an eye out for that. Yeah. <laughs> also, I thought this was another thing that's very classic Curb, where Larry is worried preemptively that because Cheryl's friend sees him walking through the park with this, with this sort of ditzy girl, that she's going to call Cheryl and tell Cheryl that he's having an affair. And so he preemptively outs himself about something that there was no suspicion of in the first place. Yeah, that's, that's classic Larry, just like being his yeah. own worst enemy and his paranoia yeah. getting ahead of himself and just like creating a mess that did not have to happen. That, yeah, yeah. That, that, was, that was one of the scenes that I re- highlighted as, okay, this could be in like a later curve season and would just like fit right in. Yeah. Um, but by the way, the very same uh, evening though, we discover that he incurs $276 in charges to his hotel room for watching porn movies. HBO Not, will cover the porn. <laughs> yeah. But I don't even understand how that's possible. Right. So let's say he made, he made four phone calls. He said, let's say each phone call is $15, an absurd number. Okay. That's 60. That gets us to 216. All right. He said there was nothing else. He said the only incident was four phone calls. But let's say he forgot he took a drink and maybe he had a couple of snacks. Maybe that's another, let's say $20, $30. That's not $200 in porn. Well, I don't know how long he was there for, but I would venture to say that back then, if you went to a hotel and ordered a movie 
no less a pornographic movie, it was a lot more expensive than you would think. I wouldn't be surprised if it was $20, $30 for you. Well, hold on a second. You never did that in your life? I don't recall what the price oh, was. because I, I, I recall doing that, and it was like six ninety five. But let's okay, say in so New York City, may, let's say in New York City, it's like eighteen ninety five or something. I would believe that's possible. Yeah, because remember, this is like a time when like porn is not as easy to get. Yeah, I mean, I was living in New York City in nineteen ninety nine, and I can tell you, especially I guess because I was only sixteen. But you'd have to like you'd have to go up to a newsstand late at night when no one else is around, and it was awkward, and you know. Um, yeah, and especially so, for a guy Larry's age, like he's not going to be like an early adopter of internet porn. Yeah. <laughs> But the internet, yeah, but the internet board in 1999 was, yeah, I mean, he doesn't even have a cell phone in this episode, right? He has to keep making phone calls from his hotel room. Yeah, I, the, the, the lack of cell phones was, like, extremely apparent to me throughout this episode. I was like, it was, like, crazy to see people living like savages. Yeah, and by the way, 1999, like, people had cell phones, and especially someone like Larry David, given his, his resources, but I guess, as you said, it's not the resources, it's so much, it's more that he's sort of technologically phobic. Yeah, yeah, he, there's no way, he, I, he, I'm not even sure he has a cell phone now. <laughs> well, I think we've seen Susie throw it into the ocean at least once. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm exaggerating. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, no, there's no way. 1999, real life Larry David, no chance he has a cell phone. Yeah. Now, let me ask you: Did all of Larry's stand up in this episode? Do you think he wrote it himself, or did he have writers? Uh, maybe uh, Jerky's wrote it for him. The <laughs> well, name? the reason I ask is because there's that whole bit about about posse's and answering machines, and posse's and answering machines were two classic like topics of Jerry Seinfeld stand up. Yeah, yeah, right. And there was uh, there was an answering machine. Also, there was an yeah. answering machine like little uh, incident in this that very much reminded me of George Costanza. Yeah, know. exactly. Yeah, you know, again, very, to, yeah. very similarly to how what Larry does in the park, like just getting himself into an own mess by making a phone call and leaving him a message that if you had just said nothing, you were fine. Just say yeah. nothing. But he doesn't. But he doesn't follow through the way George does in Seinfeld and try and figure out ways to delete or reacquire the tape. Yeah, so I think one thing that in general will be the case that we'll see a lot is that like while he has very similar instincts to George Costanza, he has a lot more to lose than George Costanza. Yeah. Um, so I think he's like less likely to like go all out on the shenanigans the way George does because like George just doesn't care. Like what's gonna yeah. ha- what's gonna happen to George? He's gonna get fired from a job. Okay, fine. That Although by season ten episode. we see that Larry has basically he's he's he has fuck you money at this point in his life. Right? Yeah, even, and he has better and, than fuck you money, fuck me money, where he he'll waste his own money, you know, trying to sink Mocha Joe out of business just because he can. Yes, right. And by but now, again, that's, he also that's the has, absurd Larry that we, we don't see until like the later. Correct. Season. And also because of developments in his personal life, he, he, he no longer has much, as much to lose. Like Cheryl is very much a like stabilizing force yes. to the extent Larry David is somewhat normal. It's because like he can't cross certain lines without. Yeah. Like, and now his stabilizing force Cheryl. is Leon, who, who's much less exactly. active than a stabilizing he's, force. Yeah, he's much less stable. Yeah. <laughs> Although I can see advantages hanging out with Leon all day instead of Cheryl. But yeah, but yeah. you can probably get into a lot more trouble. Now, you mentioned um, his personal life uh, and his family life. In this episode, uh, in fact, sort of the, the climactic scene centers around Larry swearing on his children's lives. And, and several yeah. references are made to his children. Yes, this is very confusing, of course. Yeah, this is very confusing, not only because he doesn't have children in the, in the 10 seasons of Curb that we've actually seen, but actually he specifically explained for, I think, most listeners, to the extent we have any listeners at this point, they're listeners who have also listened to one of my other podcasts, and they know that I went to a, a, an interview and a live taping of the first episode of season 10 about a month ago, and Larry was actually asked why he didn't have kids on the show because he explained earlier in the Q&A that he, the show is his dream version of his own life. And his two daughters were in the audience. 
And so someone then got up and asked questions and said, so your dream life in involves you not having children. <laughs> and then his like, daughters were like laughing in the audience. And so he's saying, well, no, the, honestly, the reason he, he didn't have kids in the show is because it was going to be too complicated. He didn't want to have to worry about coming up with constant storylines for kids because, you know, then you can't just forget about a kid. The kid is either in the house or he's not in the house every single day. And so you always have to give him right. stuff to do. And it was too much work. And I guess from that context, we understand, well, when he recorded this, he thought this was a one-off. And so he had no reason to exclude his kids. He could just make reference to them. But once yeah, he especially to since especially since the kids are not really relevant, he just wants to be able to, you know, make a joke about the yeah. line. Like, I swear by my children, as if, like, somebody's going to now take you more seriously because that's binding in some way. Yeah, but he is. But even though, you know, Larry does not strike us as a religious man, per se, he's unwilling to lie on his children's lives. The first time. Oh, yes, that's true. <laughs> by the end of the episode. Yeah. By the end of the episode, he's become more comfortable with it. Yes, exactly. That's um, true. What I thought was also interesting, and I guess this is just like total nonsense because the, these kids don't even exist, but they very deliberately several times refer them to them as his my kids. children and your children. So it's yeah. like, oh, were these like Larry's kids from some previous marriage? Like obviously yeah. none of this ever ends up meaning anything because we have no knowledge of any children or former spouse or anything as far as I'm aware, which yeah. I guess that could have been a, a better way they could have gone with it is have him had kids from another marriage and that way they could like they could show drop in time to time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, um, Ross had a kid they, like one episode every year. <laughs> exactly. So like you could you could have do good stories with like the Larry having kids and like how he interacts with them. But like you don't need to run into the problem that he described of them having to then kind of always be there in the backgrounds, which would yeah. be annoying to deal with. So, um, you know, it's surprising. That, that is a good once, idea. Yeah. Once they established that, they probably should have done that, especially since it would it would have the continuity. Of course, there's no there's nothing Larry David cares less about in the world, probably than yeah. continuity. Now, what they did do in Curb when they needed someone to play that role is they used Sammy, Jeff and Susie's daughter. Right. Exactly. Right. So, and yeah, I guess that's like a lower stakes version of Larry having to interact with kids where like at the end of the day, he doesn't really care. Yeah. But she comes and goes when it's convenient for the story and when not, we don't see her for like, you know, years at a time. As far as I know, the real life Lori David and, and Larry David Lori, who ended up after they getting divorced, ended up together with Al Gore uh, in, in, in real life. Did, did you know that? I did not know that. I didn't know that Al Gore was divorced from Tipper Gore. I'm really I'm not, I'm not up to date on my oh, politician no, and celebrity. Yeah, Al, Al Gore and Tipper Gore got divorced in like 2002 or 2003 or something like that. The real life Lori David, like Cheryl David in the early seasons of the show, is a very big environmentalist, is, is a big leader in the NRDC. Yes, uh, that's that all I based knew. on real life. Yeah. That and I, I um, she became very close personal friends with Al Gore and then they started a relationship. And I'm not sure if the relationship commenced when either one of them may or may not have been married. I forget the details of that. But um, that, so that's all in, 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 in real life, but he has these two daughters with her. Um, in the show, um, Cheryl apparently is his second wife because, yeah, she specifically says your kids, and he says my kids, as you said. So it almost like they did set it up for that, um, even though that wasn't real life. And so Larry made a conscious decision to use those words in this show. But, yeah, but then they never follow through. So, yeah, so I guess when he was doing this, he just, you know, again, he's, he's really playing himself. So, like, they did it in what the way that was actually true to what was going on in his real life. But then, no, I but guess, they didn't, though, I'm saying, because in 1999, he was still married, and his kids are with his original wife, as far as I know. So, oh, that's okay. what I'm saying. They, Got they it. didn't okay. do it, but I don't, and I'm curious as to why. And it, it, it maybe, maybe it's, it's part of just the intentional conflation of mixing truth and fiction a little bit here and there, just because, you know, he can. And again, it's, I think it's now we look back at it, we don't appreciate how unique this probably was in 1999. And it, it appeals enough to, to, to both Larry and to the folks at HBO that they pursue a show, you know, uh, which has now gone on for 20 years based, based on, on this episode. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it was, it was really a fascinating episode of TV to watch. Um, you know, for a lot of reasons, I don't think it necessarily 
is going to be like a very good curb episode when you think about it in that way, because it's just like, it doesn't do a lot of the things and there's really not like a much of a plot for most of the episode. It's just kind of like meandering. Um, but just as like its own thing in a vacuum, it was really good. Yeah. I would say that if, if you're looking at it strictly as a curb episode, it's probably below average, but overall as a piece of, you know, of entertainment of television for an hour, I think it's probably more unique than, than Curb Episodes in a lot of ways. And so it's, 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 it's really quite incredible in that regard. Uh, one thing we're going to do on this podcast every week is we're going to, to rank every episode. You and I are going to give each episode rankings as we watch them. And then we'll talk about where that episode is ranked uh, relative to, to other people who have ranked the show. I, so nobody's really ranked this because it's not considered like part of, of, of the canon of the show per se. It's sort of like episode zero, if you were. So it, it's not, it doesn't have a ranking with, with the other rankings that I've seen online. But um, if you had to rank it from, from one to five pretties for how, how good is it? I'm going to say, I'm going to give it two and a half. I'm going to say it's pretty, pretty good. So like two pretties and the second one's extra long. It's, you know, I'll say three would be like an average curb episode. So it's a little bit below. Um, but again, I'm re- rating it as a curb episode, but I'm, I'm giving it a little bit of a boost because of how unique an hour of television it was. But what about you? How would you rate yeah, it? Yeah, um, I guess I would just go like a little bit lower as an episode of Curb, as we said. I would just go pretty, pretty good. Two, two out of five pretties. You know, as, again, as in like an, just like as its own thing, I thought it was like a four out of five. Like I thought it was like really good, really interesting. Yeah. It had some parts that really made me laugh, you know, just kind of like messes with you while, while you're watching it. Even like 20 years later, knowing what this real what's really going on here i can only imagine watching this not without that knowledge how much more although maybe or maybe it was terrible because you're just like i have no idea what this yeah. is i would love <laughs> to be able to find my, my dream for this podcast is that it becomes big enough that somebody can hear it who actually saw that episode in real time before they had ever seen any episode of curb enthusiasm the television show and that they can tell us exactly what their personal response was that's my dream yeah i would i would appreciate that <laughs> one th- one thing i was on the on the lookout for and we, we mentioned a few of them was just like the ways that it kind of like fits in the same tone and things for from later episodes and there were three just like little ticks that i noticed that are like themes or like quotes or whatever that come up later like i think it's like in the very first stand-up he kind of like surveys the audience by looking at them which was struck me to be like in a very similar way as he like later seasons does that thing with like the like the eye investigation yeah where like Mm -hmm. he looks at people and like looks into their eyes and says okay okay like it felt very similar to that no but Um, hold on but that so that's a famous thing that larry used to do as a stand-up the first thing he'd do was he'd come and he'd eye the audience and like very famously one time he got up (laughs) one time he got up he looked at the audience he looked around he said no and he put the mic down and left. Like, okay. he literally, he's like, I didn't know that. So then obviously that's what that is. Yeah. So to me, that was, and again, he does that. And then he goes into the two and Usted joke. So to me, yeah. that's the first stand-up that he's doing on this show. And so he's doing his actual like stand-up that he used right. to his, do. Right, his like, most earlier. classic thing. Yeah. Um, okay, so there was a time when, right after Larry does a set, he comes out and just asks him, are you feeling good about what went on upstairs? Feeling pretty good about it so obviously that's like literally the most famous line of the show and the line that expired this podcast so that was just great to see almost certainly accidentally tucked in there yeah i missed that Um, actually i don't know how i missed that but yeah it was great i I, like jumped out of my chair when he said that (laughs) i'm like well really like from the beginning you just say that um and then there was a line where it was this guy glenn padnick who was they was talking about seinfeld and he used the quote that larry was stuck with success that like he just like didn't know what to do next with his success which was basically is the entire theme of season four and the the whole producer storyline that becomes like the defining theme of that season so that was very interesting to see that idea explored in this special yeah i'm really disappointed that i missed on uh the pretty good there 
But yeah, I don't think it was, you know, if another, another two first named uh, Jewish showrunner, David Simon would uh, probably have planted that there on purpose because, you know, that's how he sort of plans his shows well in advance. Exactly, but I don't exactly. think Larry David did that. Yeah. Um, if you ask Larry David where the pretty good came from, uh, there's a 0% chance he would say, well, I dropped into the first episode of, you know, the, the pre-show just in case. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, the other line that I thought was great, I, this was also from the stand-up, the whole bit about Jonas Salk's mother bragging yeah. to her neighbors about yeah. him. I was just dying for that. It was perfect. Yeah, no, that was very good. But that was another one that's like a real-life Larry David stand-up bit, as far as I know. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good joke. So, yeah. The, the topical humor that he had about Bill Clinton, he was saying how now, meaning uh, the summer of 1999, would be a great time for him to cheat on his wife because she's a huge supporter of Bill Clinton and even a bigger supporter, ultimately, of Al Gore, we know. Um, you know, what, what could she say to him? She couldn't criticize him. Um, and then he segues into the, to the Monica Lewinsky and, you know, uh, how there's always consequences when you get oral sex from a Jewish woman. Uh, Av, do you want to comment on that? <laughs> there certainly are consequences. I won't comment further than that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So he has that topical humor. Obviously, he was not doing that uh, humor in the 1980s. So, you know, he was coming up for, with at least some stuff fresh for this episode. And I think I would have I would have liked to see a, a longer stand up. We probably if you add up all the minutes he did, he definitely did a type five. He probably did probably eight to 10 minutes of stand up over over the course of this whole hour, you think? Yeah, at least 10 minutes. Yeah, there, yeah. there was. And I'm mostly pretty good. I mean, yeah, you have to like, I think, like Larry David and kind of already maybe like be charmed by him to appreciate it because like it's kind of awkward at times which if he's just like if you're just watching his stand up in a vacuum you might think like what's this guy's deal he's just weird yeah um but like if you have a relationship with larry david already it's it's good stuff yeah so and again that goes back to we need to find someone who uh, actually saw this in 1999 with no larry david knowledge and how they reacted yeah, you know, if you're if you're one of our six listeners out there, if it's in that description, <laughs> just let us know. And yeah. I think by six, we're being a little generous. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Literally, I right mean, now I'm, they're zero. So yeah, I mean, I'm gonna listen to it again once I post it. So that's oh, okay, the there we go. That's one, and I'll listen there. Okay, so we'll get to two. Look, we just okay. doubled our listenership in, in yeah, one minute. I think so. I think AB said he would. Huh, three. So, Keep going. So, yeah. yeah, but I mean, um, beyond beyond that, I'm not sure. Yeah. All right. So, um, so I think so. Th- this is good for episode zero. So on our next episode, we'll be talking about uh, season one, episode one of the official canon of the show Curb Enthusiasm. That episode is called The Pants Tent. And we're going to see Larry. We're going to see Cheryl. We're going to see Richard Lewis. We're going to see Jeff. We're going to see a whole bunch of our uh, beloved characters. Right yeah, on. it's very exciting. I, I was excited to see, like, I was, like, peeking ahead a little bit to see how many of, like, the regulars are there right away. I, I didn't remember that, like, every, like, so many of them were there right from, like, the gun. Um, yeah. So that's, that's great to, like, to have, like, Ted Dan's in the first episode is awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. One, just, like, one parting thought that I think is, like, a kind of, like, a broad whole series point is they make, like, they make a reference early on in the documentary that like kind of the impetus for the show was like, it felt like kind of felt like Larry kind of wanted to let the world know like who he was and that like, Hey, this thing Seinfeld just ended and it has Jerry Seinfeld's name on it. And he's in the show and everyone knows who Jerry Seinfeld is. Um, but really it was me. And it like, it felt, it feels very much like the whole Kramer reality tour episode of the Seinfeld yep. where yep. like, like this entire series was Larry David's like Seinfeld reality tour just to be like, Hey, watch this. And you'll see that like all everything that you loved in Seinfeld, like most of that was from my head, not from Jerry Seinfeld's head. Um, and I'm not saying that that's true. I have no idea. Yeah. I'm sure Jerry Seinfeld was very influential in the creation and development of Seinfeld. Um, but like, he's <laughs> obviously interchangeable with Seinfeld, at least at this point, obviously. And I think basically Larry's plan worked because now I think Seinfeld is largely seen as a two-man effort um, rather than yeah. a one-man effort that it was probably seen as in 1999. 
And if anything, I would say that the brains of the show are often seen probably disproportionately to Larry over Jerry. Uh, yeah, that could be. That's why I, I kind of said that, but like I, I, I backtrack because I really don't yeah. know what the answer is. But like certainly, yeah. like Larry David is like now viewed as a major player in the creation of the most popular sitcom or best sitcom, whatever you want to call it, of all time. Um, both by like being the inspiration for the best character and like the brains behind like so much of the shtick to it. Yeah. Um, that like he's almost like I don't know. I wouldn't say he surpassed Jerry, but like it's like right, they're like both right up there. Well, if you, and if you talk about everybody from the Seinfeld universe who had the best post-Seinfeld career, you know, usually people say Julia Louis-Dreyfus, but I think it, you would have to say that, that Julia is second. The answer has to be Larry David. Yeah, if Larry David is in it, in this competition, this contest, if you will, yeah. he, wins. He, he wins the contest. Yeah, and he didn't have to cheat this time. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I do. I like. I love that he referred to it as the Seinfeld show, as if yeah. like you needed to like be more specific in 1999 about what Seinfeld was. Oh, oh that's what he know, does. Th- but that's what he does throughout the series. And he's no, two, I, three, I, four. Yeah. I know because it's like that's it's great. like a Larry David like imposter syndrome that like yeah. he thinks he needs to tell people what Seinfeld is, even though he's also like this egomaniac who whatever you know. It's, it's yeah, yeah. Did you ever watch the Seinfeld show? That's that's how he <laughs> prefaces his conference. Anytime he screws up with like a, with like anybody like in the early seasons of the show, that's what he means leans back on yeah exactly and he's, he takes it very personally that that guy didn't like it yeah well i mean that guy was an asshole yeah you don't you don't have to tell the guy who made the thing oh yeah i didn't like your yeah. thing you could just say oh yeah of course i know seinfeld because i'm a person who's alive in 1999 yeah all right so we look forward to chatting again for the next episode which is the pants tent and we are very confident that it, we, as we get into season one of curb it's going to be pretty 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 good Yeah, it might, yeah. might not be the best way to start the first episode <laughs> of a podcast. <laughs> I'm Alex Chester and I admire Hitler. <laughs>